Hi, and welcome to another episode of Newsreel with Joe and Neil. I'm Joe. And I'm Neil. And this week, we're going to be discussing the passing of an American legend, the possible impeachment of Donald Trump, and this apparent build-up to another provocation in Syria. So first up, John McCain is dead. I should probably do this like a serious news reporter. Hang on, I'll just gather my papers, and then I look down. <clears throat> Here we go. John McCain, an American legend, has passed away. John, you will be sorely missed. Not. Not by us, anyway. Yes, so he was on his way out really a couple of years ago, and he's finally kicked the bucket. But he sure was fighting, like, right till the end. I mean, he was on the Senate floor until fairly recently, and then he was issuing statements from his hospital bed saying that Donald Trump must do this or that. Putin is evil. <laughs> the U.S. must stay, stay strong and stay tall. Like... Was he was he even saying that? Who knows? Maybe he was dictating it under his, under his breath and someone was interpreting what he said. His last words, no doubt, were, Whatever you do, get Russia. <laughs> I can well imagine. That's Scotty, by the way. Say hello, Scotty. Hi there. Okay. Yeah, so he's gone. You know, it's... I only realized this when I was coming into the studio here, it's almost exactly a year to the day. It's a year ago this week, on August 21st, 2017, the USS John McCain Sr., I think named after his father. It's hard to tell because he had two, both his father and his father's father were admirals in the U.S. Navy, and both were called John McCain, hence he was John McCain III. Um, yeah, a year ago this week, the John, USS John McCain had a fatal accident um, off Singapore. It was insane. Twelve, I think, ten or twelve U.S. soldiers were killed. Um, it was a collision at night. I think one or both ships were on autopilot, and it crashed into a vessel that was, well, certainly was on autopilot on August 21st last year. Um, I, I don't know. I know that the, the commander of the vessel was pulled out. But yeah, that's right. Ten, ten people killed. Um, and of course, that happened during a spate of other ships crashing. That wasn't the only USS destroyer that hit. But it's it's weird, weird coincidence that it's almost a week to the day that uh, Junior has passed. I mean, he comes from an illustrious family, so his two grandfathers were like top of the class, top U.S. seamen in the First World War, Second World War. I suppose that's how John McCain got his start in life. He's part of the privileged elites in the United States. But uh, it's probably telling that when he went to graduate from U.S. Navy school, he was like almost bottom in a class of... 900 students. So yeah, it's like the U.S. can like live on in its legacy, but only so far. Because John McCain, for all his privileges, for all his apparent power, and apparent the appearance he had of being close 
to power because he nearly always spoke whatever the war party was saying on any given issue. He was there and issuing their, 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 their clarion call. And yet the guy was so full of gaffes and mistakes and bumbles. Some of them are funny. Some of them are evil because he would make a slip and say he would mean to say we should fund I don't know moderate rebels but he would say we need to fund ISIS so yeah he's, he he had a history of putting his foot in it but he will have to go down as um, a warmonger of the United States Empire in his last days and now he's gone Um, yeah. What do you think, Joe? What do I think about John McCain? Yeah. Um, well, he's a, I mean, he's a warmonger, right? Um, everybody should know that. I mean, he's, uh, he supported pretty much every, uh, every U.S., you know, intervention, uh, since, probably since, the mid nineties, late nineties, Bosnia, that kind of thing, um, Iraq War, <clears throat> Libya, Syria, obviously Russia. More recently, uh, China. Even he, he's he's thrown in there for China. You know that something has to be done by China. So basically, he's uh, supported the supported war for most of his life. You know, of course, he fought in in the war in Vietnam. Well, to some extent, he fought in in Vietnam. But since then, he's just basically been a warmonger. And what what bugs me is that he uh, is that he has that history, and yet uh, you're not allowed to say it basically because he's dead. You know, he's dead, mm. so uh, uh, you're not allowed to say a bad word about someone who's a warmonger. So like, it's kind of like saying we're not allowed to say a bad word about Mao or Stalin or Pol Pot. You know, don't say anything bad about them because I'm s- certainly I, I haven't looked up any of the editorials, but you know, when Mao or Pol Pot or died or any other kind of warmonger person who supported war and was directly or indirectly involved or contributed to the deaths of a lot of people, uh, I'm pretty sure the Western media weren't, uh, you know, headlining it as, uh, uh, you know, hero passes away or the world mourns, basically, but... That's because he's our warmonger, I suppose, or he's the Western media's warmonger, so you got to show some loyalty and stuff, you know. <clears throat> but so it's hard; it's difficult for people today who have, um, who are who are kind of uh, non-partisan, let's say, who who just uh, will call out uh, warmongers wherever they are, basically, and uh, and and not stand on uh, you know kind of partisan loyalties or or political loyalties and stuff, because. Uh, yeah, because pretty much all of the mainstream media, particularly in the West, <clears throat> uh, does that. If he's our warmonger, then uh, apart from Trump, obviously, Trump's the one who stands out. Whenever Trump dies, if he dies, um, certainly uh, most of the Western press will not have very many nice words to say about him at all. Exactly. Which is bizarre. It's grave, yeah. Which is bizarre because, you know, and, and I'm pretty sure if Trump carries on in his legacy or how he started his his his, his uh, presidency, he'll be one of the least, or perhaps, well, he'll be one of the least militaristic uh, presidents in U.S. history. Uh, and yet, for doing that, he'll be excoriated in the press when he either leaves office or if he dies or when he dies, whatever. He'll, he'll have a very bad uh, write-up in, in most of the most of the media. Um, 
but uh, but not John McCain because what? Well, because John McCain's a true blue American patriot who who serves the interests effectively serves the interests of the deep state. I mean, and the fact that he serves the interests of the deep state is it, it should be obvious because I mean, if you think about the fact that um, I mean, he he was pre- he's pretty much has been an apologist for Hillary Clinton. He specifically spoke out on Huma Abedin around the time of the, pre- uh, the last U.S. election, uh, saying that she was an honest woman and that uh, she shouldn't be criticised and uh, they shouldn't dig up stuff that isn't true. Blah blah. blah. Well, all the stuff said about most of the stuff said about Huma Abedin in relation to uh, Clinton's corruption and the email scandals and all that kind of stuff is absolutely true. But mm-hmm. apparently, John McCain, a Republican, was standing up for a Democrat uh, who who clearly was guilty of the of the things that that she's been accused of, but. So he's bipartisan, basically, and that and that's why I say he's kind of deep state in that in that sense. Anybody who, any politician in the U.S. who shows basically an allegiance to American politics in general, rather than, rather than to their actual political party, uh, then is a, is basically a shill for someone else. Yeah, and uh, and that seems to be what McCain McCain has been. And I mean, back in I mean, again, the, the hypocrisy of the of the U.S. media just is is sickening as well. I mean, I don't know how anybody takes him seriously. Back in two thousand and eight, when he was running against uh, Barack Obama. Uh, him and Sarah Palin. You probably remember those heady days of Sarah Palin, that's potential vice president of the U.S. Um, he uh, most of the certainly the leftist media in the U.S. was uh, like CNN, Huffington Post, and stuff. Actually, I think I have a few, a few screen, uh, screenshots here of uh, they were calling McCain a racist basically back in two thousand eight across the board. There's uh, a few throw them up there, Scotty. A few uh, um, screenshots from. Oops, please yeah. wait. Please wait, okay. Well, yeah, not, yeah. Uh, that, uh, no, not that one, the next one. Uh, yeah. No, hang on a second. Uh, I'm afraid I opened them in the wrong browser. So. Oh, okay. We'll get them up here in a minute. Um, you know that you got the nickname, the Maverick. Yeah. So precisely because he was a Maverick in constantly jumping over to support the Democrats. Mm-hmm. And that's why, I mean, that's why he's known, like, to most Republicans today as a rhino. Republican in name only, mm-hmm. and yet he lived. He tried to live up to that with the nickname the Maverick. Mm-hmm. Well, that made him the sellout for the War Party every time. Right. So, yeah. Um, are we there? No, we're there. Okay. So yeah, the, here's an example from the Huffington Post, 2008. McCain in gathering of extremists, racists, and anti-Semites. Uh, that was uh, a tweet retweeted or. Uh, I think it may actually be a Huffington Post uh, opinion piece or whatever, basically calling McCain a racist in 2008 because obviously he was running against uh, Barack Obama. And then there's another one from, I think, The Guardian, yeah, piling, a, piling around with the racists. This is the UK Guardian. When the McCain campaign questions Obama's background, they're asking their supporters if a black man should be president. So basically, back in 2008, McCain was kind of... The modern-day Trump, McCain. You know, he was being he was pretty much not as bad because he didn't win, I suppose. But um, and I don't think obviously McCain would have fallen in line with his deep state loyalties if he had became president. It wouldn't have been a problem. But because uh, he was running against Obama, and Obama was potentially the first uh, black president, uh, all of the Western press, the lefty press, were happy to call him a racist, and that kind of seemed to fit with the leftist kind of paradigm. If, I mean, people might have assumed that you know the left was getting at. Trump are getting at um, at McCain because of his, also because he's a he was a warmonger and stuff you know but uh, and there's there's one more maybe from the uh, 
economist Sarah Palin and the random racist. Uh, so basically, they were all, most of the Western press, and that's just three examples, uh, were calling McCain a racist and Palin a racist, and they were up in arms about him. And oh, thankfully for them, anyway, he didn't become uh, president. But he, uh, but now, you know, eight years later, well, ten years later, when he dies, it's like he's a, a hero and he'll be sorely missed, and he was a quintessential American politician. But so, I mean, when you, you know, the media just obviously is. Have, for a long time before now has, has been discredited has discredited itself but it's just become much more obvious these days just how discredited the media is in terms of uh, their lack of of fulfillment of their supposed mandate which is to provide uh, just the facts you know and or objective uh, information they're as partisan as any uh, political hack uh, anywhere in the world basically so uh, people are right not to not to believe anything they say and then yeah, well, on one, there's one other thing, a little clip that people have been actually uh, spreading around as an example of just how wonderful John McCain is. And this comes from around the same time as those comments from, or those articles in, in Western leftist, or you know, yeah, lefty mainly newspapers, calling him a racist. This is now being, this clip around uh, the time of his campaign uh, in 2008, he was uh, at some town hall meeting or something and... A woman asks him a question about Obama. Just play it there. Well, there's a guy first, but then a woman is the main one. We're scared. Um, we're scared of an Obama presidency, and I'll I'll tell you why. <laughs> I'm concerned about um, you know someone that you know cohorts with uh, domestic terrorists such as heirs. I have to tell you, he is a decent person and a person that you do not have to be scared as president of the United States. Now, I, I just, now I just, now, now look, I, I. I gotta ask you a question. I do not uh, believe in, I can't trust Obama. I, I, I have read about him and he's not, he's not, he's a, um, he's an Arab. He is not. No ma'am, no ma'am, no ma'am. No, he's a, he's a, he's a decent, family, man, citizen, that I just happen to have disagreement. Blah, blah. Okay, just stop there. <clears throat> so, um, I remember that. The main thing was that the woman was, at, was saying that she couldn't trust uh, Obama and she kind of stumbled or stalled before she uh, spat out what her problem was and that he's an Arab. And John McCain said no. And so people today are saying that this is, retweeting this video and saying there's an example of the kind of standards or the, the high moral standing that John McCain Mm -hmm. uh, should be should be seen in, in uh, his legacy basically because he stood up for Obama, you know, but this woman who is obviously being I don't know if she's being racist or not. Um, but the interesting thing is that uh, the way that uh, McCain contradicts her, uh, obviously she, she, her allegation is that uh, Obama is an Arab, mm -hmm. and uh, McCain says no, 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 quite the contrary, he's a decent family man. <laughs> i.e. an Arab is the opposite of a decent family man, according right. to John McCain. Uh, but people still think that's a, that's a good way to, uh, to big up John McCain, you know. Um, yeah, so it's just, I don't know, I do, I'm just, I mean, I've been waiting for him to die for quite a long time, so have a lot of other people. Uh, he's a kind of a, you know, but he's one of many, basically, many war hawks, war mongers that have defined U.S. politics, and like I said, he seems to have been a, uh, he seems to have acted as a as a significant rep for for the deep state that 
kind of has brought the U.S. to the divided and kind of de decrepit condition that it, that it is in now, you know. Uh, and I suppose that's why the media likes him. That's why the media won't hear, hear a bad word said about him right now, and you're not allowed to say anything about the dead and stuff. But, you know, like I said, Pol Pot is dead as well. Are we allowed to criticize him, or what's the story? He's been in uh, Congress since 1982. Mm -hmm. That's like... That's too long. That's just, just crazy. First elected in 82 to the House of Representatives, and then in the Senate as a congressman since 86. That's four decades. And his first, um, his first, the first thing he got his teeth into was basically legislation that became the anti-smoking laws. Mm -hmm. First in California, then US-wide, then globally. Um, he was on the whole shtick about attacking big tobacco in the 80s. Um, to regulate it, but eventually to what we have today where, you know, you can't even, they can't even show brands on tobacco products and you can't even smoke anywhere. So there's, uh, I mean, right there, is it, that's, a, that's a mundane, that's a non-war issue, right? And a domestic political health care issue, let's say, and he's completely crossed the, the water. I mean, at the time, you, you didn't do that unless you were far lefty. That's mm -hmm. an ultra-liberal relative at the time thing to do. To attack big tobacco, where well, he's he's Republican, he should be you know pro industry, and he would be in many other respects. Right. Um, yeah, and that I mean that nickname is just it says it all, and he probably loved it, the Maverick. But he was a Maverick for flipping from one party to the next, such that by the nineties and then for the last two decades, he stood side, side by side with Joe Lieberman, mm. once Democrat, then Independent, and of course. Lindsay, I'm not a rhino, Graham, mm -hmm. you know, the three of them formed a little, uh, a little troika there in Congresses. Um, apparently, one of McCain's last acts was to disinvite Trump from his funeral. This is a guy who, after insisting he has no personal issue with Trump, which he was asked um, after he went out of his way to, uh, apparently he was the key deciding vote in a very close vote on repealing Obamacare last year. Mm -hmm. He came in from from his hospital bed, and that vote, I think, swayed it the other way. Well, the guy obviously had it in for Trump. And it was obviously personal. This is the hallmark of a deep stater, basically, at least in, at that level in politics, you know? Um, the only creds, really, he has, I mean, for being a hero, I mean, he was a hero, like I said, because of his father and grandfather. But then the, his personal creds are that he was a Vietnam hero. Mm -hmm. That he was shot down, captured by VC, tortured, and finally released. And he's milked that to the, to the hilt in his career in politics. But even that's in... Um, that's not even... Uh, that's disputed. Um, in 2008, while he was campaigning for president... A guy, a guy claims to have been a former prison guard in Vietnam um, gave an interview in which he said that, um, no, he was never tortured. We never tortured McCain. On the contrary, we saved his life, cured him with extremely valuable medicines that at times were not available to our own wounded. Mm -hmm. um, Apparently squealed like, a, squealed like a pig as well. And said all To the Vietnamese. Told, gave all sorts of information about upcoming uh, U.S. <laughs> Military strategies in Vietnam, so yeah. But then, what do you expect? You know, people in positions of power like that get to uh, get to write the narrative, you know, about their own histories and about war histories, of course, that fully fit with... Uh, it wasn't just him 
that was interested in, in glorifying himself in the Vietnam War, was in, in the interest of the U.S. kind of military and, and military industrial complex that, you know, that McCain and anybody else is a war hero rather than a, than a war weasel. Uh, but I'm pretty sure he falls in the category of war weasel as opposed to war, war hero. So, um, yeah, welcome to reality where everything is bullshit. Yeah. I want to play a video now as our send-off to John McCain. John McCain's greatest hits with some of his classic, some of his classic and infamous quips over the years about everything from war to U.S. politics, including some of his gaffes. So uh, enjoy. The sacrifice of your brother would not be in vain. That a whole 20 or 30 million people would have a chance to live a free life in an open society. If we fail, it will become a center of terrorism. And we will ask more young Americans to sacrifice as your brother did. When do we send them an airmail message to Tehran? <laughs> That old, uh, that old Beach Boy song, Bomberan. <laughs> bom, 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 bom. <laughs> anyway. Al-Qaeda is going back into Iran and receiving training and are coming back into Iraq from Iran. That's, that's well known. Uh, and it's unfortunate. I'm sorry, the Iranians are, are training extremists, yeah, okay. not Al-Qaeda. Hillary Clinton has described already the meeting in the White House over two years ago. Everyone in the national security team recommended uh, arming ISIS. And I have never seen anything as disgraceful and outrageous and despicable as the last demonstration that just took place about, you know, you're going to have to shut up or I'm going to have you arrested. Get out of here, you low-life scum. People of Ukraine, this is your moment. The free world is with you. America is with you. I am with you. You so I don't know even know why he has. Why is that? Well, you do know. You do know. I know. I just read in the Times in May. I don't know what read or heard of, and I don't know the circumstances. I know what's right. I know what's morally right as far as America's but, behavior but if is I may, sir, it was Diplomacy and negotiation, not bombs, Senator McCain. We cannot afford, we cannot afford to shed more Syrian blood. And they're not Syrian. They're coming to Syria from all over the world to fight this. We cannot afford to do that. We cannot afford to turn Syria into another Iraq. American Idol is a lot like a presidential primary election except for people who live in Michigan and Florida, their votes actually count. And that's not change we can believe in. <laughs> I'm older than Frankenstein. I got a few scars and that I've, and I'm older than dirt and I've got more scars than Frankenstein. Screwed up that line. Has your relationship with the president frayed to the point that you are not going to support anything that he comes to you and asks for? Why would for? you say something that stupid? Why would you ask something that dumb? Huh? Kim Jong-un, this crazy fat kid that's running uh, North Korea. He's not rational. We're not dealing with even with someone like Joseph Stalin. The United States is the most powerful nation in the world, and we're not going to be intimidated by Russia and China. We are not. So I guarantee you that they will not act. So you reached a conclusion. In the case of Mr. Comey, you, uh, the president, 
uh, call me. I mean, no, sir. Me. There was no moral equivalence between the United States and Putin's Russia. I repeat, there is no moral equivalent between that butcher and thug and KGB colonel and the United States of America. The senator from Kentucky is now working for Vladimir Putin. What's your reaction to Senator McCain's characterization of your objection? Well, you know, I think he makes a really, really strong case, you know, for term limits. На самом деле он для меня даже немножко симпатичен. Да, да, да. Я не шучу сейчас. Он симпатичен мне своим патриотизмом и своей последовательностью в защите интересов своей страны. Но вы знаете, вот в Древнем Риме был известный Мар, Марк Порций, значит, старший, да, который все свои речи заканчивал, с чего бы ни начинал, одним и тем же. Карфаген должен быть разрушен. And was put not just in jail, but in a pit. He sat there for several years. Anyone would go nuts after that. Very well, John McCain. <laughs> Some classic moments there. That that one from Putin, where he's explaining, um, uh, or he's, he's, it reminds him of Cato the Elder. Initially, when I heard that quote, I think I read it somewhere, and I thought, oh yeah, Cato is totally Cato. But I was thinking of Cato the Younger, mm -hmm. living around the time of Caesar. This guy was so demented against Caesar that he would do whatever it took to sabotage anything he did, whether it was good for Rome objectively or good for Rome in dispute, you know. Um, and Cato, like, right to the end, to his deathbed, the story is that he... Um, attempted basically suicide by cutting his guts open and then he was patched up Cato and he still ripped that he and his you know he was determined to go and for it to be Caesar's fault mm -hmm. that, that's the kind of like driven psychology of this guy is like yeah of course uh, it was towards the end I mean it was hate for Putin and Trump I'm not even sure which was stronger we probably saw the two as synonymous right yeah well, they are, I suppose, these days, right? I mean, according to the Western media, that uh, Putin, um, Putin and Trump are, uh, well, there's all sorts of memes going around on the internet <coughs> of them kissing each other and stuff. So that's what uh, apparently what we're meant to believe. Um, yeah. So, yeah, John McCain's dead. Good. Bye-bye. Um, Unfortunately, there's many more like him and too many more that aren't even in public life. Um, but what are you going to do, you know? You just have to... Uh, put up with that un, unhappy state of affairs, you know. Uh, but certainly, yeah, we should dispense with uh, all of the pathos and stuff and full sympathy um, about not being allowed to uh, say what's true about... Because, you know, what's more important than uh, some things that might appear on the internet that might hurt the feelings of John McCain's family, uh, what's more important is the, is, the, is the truth, you know. And there's, uh, there's a lot of... Um, family members uh, of people in countries like Iraq and Syria and Lebanon who uh, whose, whose feelings have never been taken into consideration uh, when their family members died directly or indirectly at the hands of uh, John McCain and people like him. Mm -hmm. So uh, nobody speaks up for them, but we're meant to silence ourselves when we want to when we want to do that effectively because by, by condemning John McCain and exposing the truth about him and the people like him, uh, exposing what they do and their legacy were in effect speaking up for the people who have been victimized by them but you're not allowed to 
supposedly out of respect for John McCain's family. Well, I'm sorry, you know, you don't get to pick your parents and not every, not everybody's parents. And people have this uh, attitude. You see a lot of people on Twitter saying, you know, well, I just recently lost my, my family my family member or my father. And it was very difficult. So, you know, it costs you nothing just to say, you know, to be quiet and, 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 and think of the feelings of John McCain's family members. Um, <clears throat> so just stop saying bad things about them. <clears throat> because losing a parent is is difficult and painful. Um, but the people saying that, or it was, it was it's the, it's the lead singer of some actually on Twitter, lead singer of some Los Angeles rock band. I can't remember the name of them right now. Um, he had posted something that he's a lot of followers on Twitter, and uh, it just struck me that there's a lot of assumption there. Like John mm-hmm. McCain's uh, kids might hate him. Exactly. They might be they might be happier than any of the rest of us. Uh, that, that he's dead, you know. So, uh, and that's just a simple fact of the matter, you know. Uh, there's no point in getting all mushy about it, you know. Some people, many people, when they die, when when a uh, particularly when a parent uh, dies, uh, many people feel at the very least a mix of um, relief. Yeah, a mix a mix of sadness and and relief and yeah. and kind of. Finally, <laughs> it's done. Finally, that person's gone. Type thing, you know. So you know, just people need to get over themselves. But nobody wants to get over themselves these days, you know. People always, oh, just want to indulge their own uh, their own feels. So, um, yeah, I think we've said enough about John McCain because at the same time we want to criticize him, we don't want to say too much about him because that would actually, you know, elevate him to some uh, some level of of, of uh, notoriety that he really doesn't deserve, you know. Right, he's just—he was just a bit of a loudmouth, and he did the worst that he could. Well, his well, he had some some little power, and uh, fair play to him. But like I said, there's many uh, many other people uh, in positions of power doing exactly the same things right now. He's like, you know, we're not talking about a, a seven-headed hydra here. You're talking about a seven hundred thousand-headed hydra, maybe, right. or something along those lines, or maybe more. So um, it's a drop in the ocean, basically. But it's useful to be able to talk about the the, the overall. Uh, attitude and, um, you know, um, effects of of the of these kinds of people, people like John McCain, uh, over the years, over the past, you know, over the American century, basically. Uh, but you know, that's about it. It's a it's a blip on the on the historical calendar, if that. Um, yeah, but I mean, the other thing is, um, I wrote on Facebook there actually that that I thought kind of summed it up pretty well that. Uh, the the flags, the ISIS and the Banderites, neo-Nazi Banderites, uh, the Ukrainian neo-Nazis, uh, the flags of those two groups of people will be flying at half mast today because John McCain's dead. Um, but it'll be back. The the flag will be back up uh, very quickly, especially if, as has been suggested by the Russian government, uh, there's a new uh, provocation being planned in Syria, possibly to coincide with the death of John McCain as a kind of hat tip to him or a in memoriam. Best way we can send off John McCain is to fire some Tomahawk cruise missiles at a Middle Eastern country and kill some kill some Arabs, you know. Um that would really be a fitting tribute to him. So that may happen actually, and it would be interesting if it does happen in the next uh, day or two, you know, right after John McCain dies, you know. Instead of twenty one gun salute, it'll be a twenty one Tomahawk cruise missile salute fired at Syria. Uh, with John McCain's name on each one of them, and um, but that's what the Russian Ministry of Defense basically is saying. 
uh, the Russian government in general is saying that uh, another, yet another, at this point they're kind of getting boring, you know, um, another potential, well, they're getting so boring, they're getting so commonplace it, it, that the Russian government can actually predict them. Right. Uh, they, they have enough people on the ground and obviously with the Russians on the ground they can say, listen, We've seen some movement in Syria that looks like you're going to have one of them there, false, phony, uh, chemical weapon attack uh, scenarios that justify uh, U.S. You know, Western military airstrikes or, or, or bombardments of, of Syria in their ongoing war against the, the Syrian government and their ongoing broad geopolitical war. Um, but yeah, so apparently there's another one in the offing. Whether or not... The most Russia can do about it, and the most Syria can do about it, is actually talk about it in advance and say, "Listen, this is going to happen," and that with, the, you know, with the the possibility that by talking about it, uh, they will stay the hand of the people who would who would launch such a, a provocation. But that's not that didn't well, it didn't happen last time because I'm pretty sure they talked about the the Duma uh, attack earlier this year. Yes, that didn't happen. Really, some kind of bizarre chlorine, not even chlorine gas, maybe a chlorine gas attack, but. Chlorine gas is ridiculous. I get, I, I, I get exposed to chlorine gas every day. Not every day, but during the summer when I'm putting chlorine in the pool. Uh, and it's pretty, it's, it's pretty toxic. Like, it's noxious, but it's, uh, it's not enough to... It's very short-lived. It just dissipates very quickly. Uh, it's not enough to call in airstrikes. No, and that's the kind of thing you're talking about. They're, you're talking about just basic, uh, basic uh, chlorine compound mixture that they pour into a a missile and then it just kind of like evaporates and it's like it stings your eyes and it's kind of like make you cough and all that kind of stuff but it's not and that's the most that they found in Duma earlier this year was some kind of chlorine uh, compound but there wasn't even any hard evidence that that happened you know um, so certainly it wasn't a, it wasn't it wasn't what they said it was which was some chemical you know sarin or some other evil they found nothing like that but of course the Americans and the French and the Brits all launched their Tomahawk cruise missiles anyway at, at Syria so it didn't the Russians predicting it last time didn't stop them from firing the Tomahawk cruise missile. So if the Russians have predicted it again, it's possible that it'll go ahead, that there'll be some announcement. And it would be, but it, I mean, I don't, I don't know the extent to which the media, the Western media and Western governments have the, the barefaced kind of gall and cheek to, to, to just go ahead and say, oh, you know, after X number of days in advance, they don't report on it, but certainly right. Russian media, Sputnik and RT and other uh, news websites report on the fact that the Russians have said, this is going to happen. Any and then now. for the media to then, if they do, in a few days to go, breaking news, chemical weapons attack in this exact area that Russia predicted a few days ago, uh, what US government says airstrikes imminent. I mean, at that point, it's just like, really? You people have no shame whatsoever. It's like, you're not even embarrassed. You have no embarrassment. You've lost the ability to be embarrassed. Uh, which is really dangerous, actually, because uh, it's one of the few things that uh, stays people from committing increasingly kind of egregious uh, crimes uh, against uh, against well against people, crimes in general. You know that the, right. the embarrassment of being caught out in, in in committing a crime. You know, people usually people want to do it by by deception, you know, covertly, but uh, they're not able to do that anymore. So the response is, well, we'll do it anyway. Let's just go ahead and do it anyway, even though, and we'll just hope that just by you know carrying on you know blah 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 anyway chemical weapons attack and the atomic christmas says that we'll just steamroll over the fact that this was predicted and you were exposed as this was exposed as being a provocation and hopefully we'll just be able to catapult enough propaganda into people's brains uh that they'll that they'll go with it you know but how many times can you do that before 
people just don't believe it anymore. And then what do you do? You know, you just say, well, shut up. It was a chemical weapons attack. You it just, really happened. People who say it wasn't a chemical weapons attack are stupid. Shut up. Stop saying that. Stop saying it wasn't. Okay. Russian trolls. Russian trolls. Russian, mm. Once this happens, they'll be like what they did last time after Duma. We've got breaking news. Uh, we have a report now from the Pentagon that Russian troll activity is up 2,000%. I mean, they did that kind of thing with a straight face. Um, and yeah, it's worrying at the point where humiliation doesn't keep them in check. Putin has said in numerous interviews with Western media in recent years, um, he said or strongly hinted at that he himself is cautious because he knows not to back someone into a corner they can't come out of. Well, you think this is kind of a strategic corner that you, you, you know, you want to give him some wiggle room because, well, you run the risk of, you know, a serious, basically the, the curtain being pulled back and people seeing it, that Russia was able to predict exactly what would happen mm. when it happens. But they're unfazed by it. Mm. I guess because it's only a few Russian media outlets that report it and then it's, you know, internet trolls that do it. Mm. They've got it all. They've got an answer for everything, basically. But it's 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 the the, the excuses and the explanations and the justifications are, are you know you'd assume that they're incre becoming increasingly kind of threadbare. You know, they're they're wearing a bit thin. You know, and it's just interesting. It'll be interesting to see just how um, what they can get away with and how gullible people are. And you know, it's it's always hard to get a read on what people actually think because when you look at social media, what you're what you're seeing is a minority of uh, loudmouth people, basically who. Just shout about things, you know. You don't really know what the majority of, of people think, you know. Um, but you would think that if people still retain some level of rationality and and reason, that uh, as these kind of things progress, and certainly over the past few years with, you know, little leaks of U.S. supporting uh, ISIS and just coincidental events happening, major events happening, like with terror attacks, you know. I mean, there was even... Um, there was that Westminster Bridge attack in London last year when a guy ran people down on, with his car on Westminster Bridge and there were quite a few people and it wasn't just a loudmouth I was seeing a lot of people who didn't have many Twitter followers and stuff and seeing you know comments from people saying it's a bit coincidental this happened just a week before the elections isn't it you know so that kind of thing were, were coinc very coincidental uh, kind of events happen that traumatise the public or meant to shock the public uh, but also seem to serve a political agenda. Uh, as, as the number of those kinds of things uh, ramp up and it just becomes a bit too convenient, uh, the narrative around it is, starts to become a bit too convenient, you would assume that if people do have, retain some ability to think and stuff, that uh, there would be really a, a lot more people just, you know, quietly, even if, mm -hmm. only, if only quietly, starting to disbelieve. Absolutely. Um, terror attacks are one thing. And then atrocities committed abroad are another. But both, when people are hearing the same record of each kind, like Westminster is again, you know, attacked with a guy running over his car, and it's like, mm. again, terror will have less of an effect anyway mm. the next time, whether or not it's exposed as having an inside hand or, or anything. Mm -hmm. Same goes for these foreign atrocities. This is what, the f seventh time they play this record? Even, if you're, weapons even if you're just a passive consumer of the news, you're going to go, I've heard this before. Hmm. Isn't that odd? Even well, if that's all, the only thought that you have and you carry on, you don't even watch mm -hmm. the news closely, you just carry on. That passive mm -hmm. absorption of the same record going over and over you again. You start to question like, 
is this is this you know is this a setup like is this, there's this yeah it's uh well it was Bolton actually who came out with it initially the, the statement about uh if syria uh just out of the blue and it's it's amazing like uh no you know of course he could cite some kind of intelligence or whatever but i don't even think he did he just uh, to to a reporter he just said as part as part of an interview he just said you know, if uh, Syria carries out another chemical attack, uh, we'd probably attack them, respond, you know, more strongly than we did last time. So, it's like, okay, so is there any reason to think that that would happen? Well, maybe, I don't know, maybe there is, maybe there isn't. We'll have to wait and see. Maybe maybe there will be a chemical attack. Um, and of course the jihadis in Syria hear that. Uh, it's like, you know, it's pretty much the US government with all its power and money, saying to a bunch of mercenaries, if it so happened that somehow someone was able to drop some kind of chemical weapon or explode some kind of chemical weapon, uh, even, you know, just a not very effective one, uh, and in Syria, then we would obviously decide or claim immediately that it was the Syrian government that did that, and then we would attack the Syrian military. So that message is obviously being sent directly to uh, jihadis mm -hmm. who are fighting the Syrian military in in, in Syria. And uh, as I think as Caitlin Johnston actually uh, had the, or no, it wasn't Caitlin Johnston, it was Eva, Eva Bartlett actually on an RT uh, article had the headline more or less that. Um, uh, what was it? I, uh, Bolton. I think she just said. Um, the headline was something along the lines of. Um, Bolton calls on Al Qaeda. Right. Bolton calls on, on Al Qaeda or ISIS to, to carry out a chemical weapon attack. And they ran with it, RT. Yeah. <laughs> they just said, well, whatever. Yeah. Which it, but that's, I mean, her point was, if you read the article, her point was that, that pretty much what I just said, which is that uh, by saying this kind of thing, it encourages. Um, jihadis to create the conditions that Bolton said or that the US government said are necessary for the US government to attack Syria. If you create these conditions we will attack Syria uh, and the people in Syria who are fighting against the Syrian government say okay we'll see what we can do and uh, but it's, it's also I mean the, the Russian government has also gone as far as to say that it's not it's not just that simple because you can't you can't really rely on a bunch of knuckle-dragging you know wild-eyed uh, gibbering jihadis in Syria who are you know whose collective combined kind of, most of them are combined intellect is like, you know, uh, probably just about average, you know. Um, you can't rely on them to go ahead. Obviously, they can't rely on them to go ahead and do those kind of things on their own because these people are just, uh, they're just uh, hired guns, basically. They're not the sharpest knives in the in the drawer. And um, the Russian government has said, basically, that there's foreign elements and they didn't say which foreigners but foreign elements have been in the country basically preparing for uh some kind of a chemical weapons provocation i.e you need to bring people in with some expertise even maybe even americans or westerners parts of intelligence agencies you need to bring them in to put together the conditions and the scenario after the fact you know lights camera action type thing so you can sh so you can broadcast the the supposed evidence of a chemical weapons attack in Syria you know people running around people you know lying in the streets all that kind of stuff i mean to, to what extent they actually fabricate this is up is, is open to debate whether or not they 
totally fake a chemical weapons attack and just have a bunch of people. Obviously, there's a lot of ISIS members and jihadi members there with their wives and their families and their kids and all that kind of stuff. So there's no shortage of people that they could get, let's say, 50 or 60 people in a small area that's pretty much closed off. You create the conditions. I mean, a lot of Syria still, uh, a lot of parts of Syria, cities and towns are, 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 are destroyed. You have a bunch of jihadis in one of those towns. You know, it's a nondescript town, but there's lots of kind of half-destroyed destroyed buildings around you get 50 or 60 jihadis uh, and their wives and their children and you you know tell them to lie down on the ground and roll around and spit up some flame or something like that and you film it yourself you know in a chaotic, chaotic kind of way you pull some of them out of put them in rubble pull them out it's not beyond people have obviously made this allegation before that a lot of it was staged by the white helmets and all that kind of stuff and it's not beyond reason it's not unreasonable to suggest that that may be the case. There's no hard evidence for it, but it's possible that, that, that they would go that far. And why not? It doesn't take a lot of money to get 50 or 60 jihadis together in a town that they control and film them pulling some kids and women out of buildings with, you know, that have been pre-prepared with dirt and, you know, fake blood on their face. Because that's how it works. Because, yeah. that, because, because that, those images, not just in the Syrian war, but going back in many wars, right back to uh, the first Gulf War, those kinds of images that are emotive images are the, are the things on which, or the images or the evidence on which Western governments have launched bombing campaigns that have made hundreds of millions of dollars for politicians and their, and their corporate friends in the defence industry. That's, that is the basis on which uh, they have launched, like you go back to incubators, uh, babies and in incubators in the first Gulf War. You know, um, and since then, claims of, you know, Saddam killing his own people, Gaddafi killing his own people, uh, Assad killing some people. It's that kind of rhetoric and that kind of emotionally provocative rhetoric, uh, and it, all the better if it can be if it's if it's uh, backed up by uh, video evidence. That's how the, that's the only reasons that they use to launch these bombing campaigns that make, like I said, the people who launch them a lot of money. So why wouldn't they create those images from scratch when it's very easy to do and yeah. doesn't cost very much? Yeah. Um, and what struck me as being a little bit different this time around is that in previous ones, certainly with Duma, and maybe the one before that, they would just have a relatively low-key statement that they're preparing something in Syria, heads up. Mm -hmm. um, there'd be maybe statements from Putin and his, uh, someone in the Russian MOD. But this time around, the, the level of detail mm. is a little bit more like, I mean, the... the the report from Russian Ministry of Defense yesterday is, uh, yeah, breaking the news that they're poised to stage a chemical weapons attack in order to frame Damascus and provide a pretext for the strikes. Then specifically, that they're going to launch strikes on Syrian targets from US, US, UK and French carriers or jets. And specifically still, that the US... S. The Sullivans, an Arleigh Burke class Aegis guided missile destroyer, has been deployed to the Persian Gulf for this purpose. In addition to a bomber being prepared at the Qatari air race that the US has. Mm -hmm. um, and then today there's an update, and it's even more specific that, I mean, I don't know what this means. I just, they, the Russians are either making this up or they're tracking this in real time. They said that eight canisters of chlorine have been delivered to a specific place, and they named the village. It's in Idlib province in the northwest of Syria. And a separate group of militants has been prepared by the private British security company Olive 
which have also arrived in the area. The group will be disguised as volunteers from the White Helmets Group and will simulate a rescue operation involving locals purportedly injured in the attack. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the kind of level of detail, like, they're watching it unfold. Now, they haven't, like, what I would love is that if they would back that up and just say, well, here's satellite images of them moving or some photos of them being caught on convoy en route. Mm. Maybe that's the next level of it. The next time around they go and do this, well, they'll have the actual, you know, you were here markers from real-time tracking. Yeah, maybe. But, I mean, I think the the level of detail that they've been able to go into this time is indicative of the increasing control that, they, that the Syrian government and obviously the, by, by, by implication the Russian government has uh, kind of eyes on the ground and the <clears throat> the, the infiltration, like <clears throat> infantry, infiltration, I suppose they ha- have of of these kind of jihadi cells, because obviously that's part of it as well. I mean, for for that'll be a major part of of trying to defeat these jihadist networks would be to infiltrate them with with your people, basically primarily Syrians. You know, so that suggests to me uh, it's evidence of of the increasing control and, and dominance of the Syrians and the Russians in 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 Syria. Uh, that they can get this level of detail, but beyond that, I mean, if they were able to get the level of detail where they could provide evidence and all that kind of stuff, then there wouldn't be any more resistance in that in that sense. If they had that level of of control, they, they wouldn't they wouldn't need to right. to talk about it all because it would be over basically. But this is, I think, this is the kind of end game, and obviously, Idlib is the last kind of the last area, the last stronghold of of jihadists. A lot of them went there. Uh, you may remember that over the past uh, couple of years as jihadis were being kicked out of towns and towns were being taken by the Syrian army uh, and they were being bussed out uh, of different places, sometimes under the guard of the US, uh, a lot of them went to Idlib. There's a kind of a, an enclave in, in Idlib basically where they were, where they have been uh, holding up and preparing themselves for the last great hurrah type thing, you know. Um, oh, and that's also where they voluntarily gone to. Right. When they've surrendered in in previous enclaves that were cleared out, right. they would lay down their weapons and the Syrians would uphold it. They would bust them out mm-hmm. like thousands at a time mm-hmm. with whatever families they'd kidnapped or made in the intervening years. And they'd all be allowed to gather and congregate, go up through Syrian government-occupied now controlled mm-hmm. territory and they've all amassed it. I don't know what the numbers are. It must be tens of thousands in Idlib. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's something like maybe up to 30,000 or something like that. But right, that's right the there, we have, we have the motive, by the yeah, way, for yeah. why this is happening. Right. I think to protect the one them, yeah. two times ago was Kane Shakun, April mm. 2017. I think it's because they were about to launch an offensive, the Syrians and the Russians, an offensive to capture Deir Ezzor. Mm-hmm. And that raised a hue and a cry and justified some sneak airstrikes to try and stop them. But mm. they still got to Deir Ezzor eventually and cleared it out. The last time, Duma, was when they were about to take eastern Ghouta and mm-hmm. protect Damascus. Mm-hmm. And now, um, the, the another last. one, Idlib, the last on the east, on the west side of Syria. Because once, once Idlib goes down, there's only the north, east, mm-hmm. Which, by the way, I suspect is where these mercenaries are, are, are largely based. You know, the, the east, of course, of the country is where a lot of serious oil facilities and mm. gas facilities are. I find the interesting facts about them, um, this olive firm that the Russians mentioned, this is um, based in Dubai, private security, private army for hire, nominally a British company, but headquartered, uh, maybe even registered in Dubai. It merged with a U.S. company called Constellus, Two years ago, three years ago maybe, 
which had itself already merged with Academy, which Blackwater. is Blackwater. So it's the it's I think the largest private mm-hmm. army for hire in the US slash UK arsenal. Mm-hmm. And there's at least by 2015, it was known that they had 5,000 mercenaries in their employment. Um, their CV is that they go in and protect essentially US, UK, maybe some other European oil firms in hotspots across the Middle East and North Africa. That's why I suggest they're probably at or near Syrian plants on the other side of the Euphrates mm-hmm. from where they can organize, coordinate exactly these kinds of stage provocations. Yeah, absolutely. And the, yeah, the, so the the threat, I mean, it's, it's no surprise that Bolton comes out with this uh, allegation that, uh, you know, if the Syrian government carries out another chemical weapon attack, we will attack, you know, stronger than last time. Um, as the Syrian army is gearing up to take the last stronghold in, you know, in, in, in most of Syria, in Idlib. And so that obviously, the, the message being sent to the Syrian government and the Russians there is that you, know, you better hold off. So it, it's designed to make them uh, pause and maybe consider whether or not they would just steam on in and get rid of the, of the remaining jihadis in their country. Because if they do, there could be very quickly at a, at a moment's notice there could be a chemical weapons attack, and very shortly after that, a bunch of Tomahawk cruise missiles could be fired at Syrian military positions that are attempting to liberate the rest of their country. And it shouldn't obviously be uh, shouldn't be forgotten that should, should not be forgotten that that's exactly what uh, the U.S. is doing. <clears throat> that you have a sovereign government uh, in a sovereign country with its own military made up of its own people, of its own men and women, uh, and the U.S. government, over the past seven years, has repeatedly attempted, you know, indirectly with its friends in in, in the Middle East, uh, the Saudis, etc. Uh, first of all, attempted to uh, overrun the country with their mercenaries, but then since then, over the past few years, they have the U.S. government has directly attempted to stop a sovereign government and its sovereign military from freeing uh, its or ridding its country, its its land, its territory of uh, terrorists. And they've taken direct action to stop that by firing Tomahawk cruise missiles at the Syrian military in its own country that was attempting to rid itself of terrorists. That's what America was doing, basically. And it's worked so well to this point. I mean, obviously, um, it hasn't worked at all. They're going to do it again. Well, what do they seriously expect to achieve by hampering... I mean, there's momentum now. They've just taken the area around the Golan Heights. Damascus is secure. Everything's going for... Damascus mm-hmm. in clearing clearing out Syria. Do they really think they're going to stop this? I suppose, yeah. It's um, well. I mean, if in doubt, just remember that uh, war is a racket, you know, um, and that it's firing missiles, Tomahawk cruise missiles, any kind of missiles, dropping it, bombs, is in and of itself a mm-hmm. uh, mandate, a necessary component of uh, of of the U.S. military and of the U.S. government's money-making scheme, effectively. I mean, every single Tomahawk cruise missile, I think each, each one's, what, like, maybe 2 million or 1.5 million or something? Um, that's uh, that's a, a Tomahawk cruise missile that has to be replaced by uh, a U.S. defense contractor, uh, which employs a lot of Americans who all pay taxes to the federal government. So it's drumming up business. Mm. Uh, any any There's always a motivation over and above any kind of geopolitical reasons. There's always a motivation if it's possible, if you can find uh, plausible 
reasons to do it, then it's always uh, a good idea for these people to simply fire, to use their military and, to, and drop bombs. Not necessarily use the military, because that kind of tends to use up taxes, but uh, by having to pay them and all that kind of stuff, but pay the military and that kind of stuff, that's what Trump's problem is about. But Trump doesn't have a problem with with uh, firing missiles or dropping bombs, because he knows it, it's good for uh, jobs in America. It is good for jobs in America. Good for the economy. Yeah. On economic matters, that makes me think of another economic, another motive for wanting to at least have a say in Idlib. If there are tens of thousands of accumulated terrorists, they've now, some of them at least, have been there since, what, seven years. Mm-hmm. They're now experienced jihadi forces. They will want to have access to them to be able to use them again. Mm-hmm. I mean, the worst thing that will happen is that, that if we look at that as a resource, mm-hmm. that that is lost either to they're reintegrated in some way in Syria or they're sent back to their home countries, wherever they've come from. Right. All over the Muslim world, probably. Um, so it may, it may be just kind of a holding tactic to say, you know, we're... Right. No, 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 you can't touch... We own they're trying to, manpower I mean, jihadi. Yeah, ink. I think uh, that what they're trying to do uh, over and above by making money by dropping firing tama or cruise missiles is that they're, they're hoping to stall the situation. The US doesn't have a plan in Syria, basically, but all it knows is that we have to stop, uh, at all costs, we have to stop Syria and, and Russia from pushing forward with their agenda. And whatever way we can do that, you know, we'll try and figure out what we should actually do or if we'll try and come up with a, 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 a rational or, or a, you know, sensible plan, <clears throat> maybe down the line as things evolve. But until then, let's hold, hold them off. Let's stop them from... Uh, progressing, i.e. stop them from liberating the country, stop them from pacifying the country, stop them from stopping the bloodshed effectively. Because as long as the whole point, the rationale for Syria from the very beginning, seven years ago, was to uh, initiate widespread, widespread bloodshed uh, in Syria. That was the goal. That was the mandate. That was the, that was the point. That was the, the bottom line mm-hmm. of, of the U.S.'s uh, intentions and plan for Syria was ignite uh, uh, you know, a civil war, a quote-unquote civil war. Uh, basically destroy the place uh, to overthrow the Syrian government. So um, that's, that's still still the, still the plan, basically. It's still the, the, the backup plan, if you know what I mean. If, if we haven't, you know, it hasn't gone their way, obviously, as we've documented uh, throughout this process. It hasn't gone the way that the US expected it would go since Russia intervened in Syria in particular. But um, so they're in a bit, they are in disarray in terms of what they should do in Syria for the past two or three years, really, since uh, October, end of September, October 2015, when Russia first intervened and everything that has happened since, that threw the U.S.'s plans for Syria just up in the air. So they're still trying to figure out what they should do, how they can reconfigure it. Can they reconfigure it? And I don't think they can reconfigure it, but they're just very reluctant to let go of it because they put so much time and effort into it and they they don't want to just walk away because, you know, America can't be defeated. Go home, America, you're drunk. Yeah. I was surprised by how smoothly the preceding um, clearing out operation went in the southwest of Syria. That's down by the Jordanian border, of course, next to Israel, too, Mm. around the Golan Heights. They just sweeped in there in one operation. Um, I say surprise. I mean, it was was a relatively smooth operation. 
the Israeli airstrikes were way down. There wasn't the spate of them at this time. Mm. In fact, the Russians, remember, they went out of the way to thank the Israelis for participating in airstrikes against well, ISIS, was, whatever was, that was about. There was a lot of negotiations going on yeah, pr prior to that between Russia and Israel because Israel was the main, the main impediment there, you know. Um, and as long as the, the Russians were able to get uh, Israel on side and get them to, listen, see things our way and hear some uh, guarantees for Israel that this, 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 and this will happen. Uh, it, it seems to have been successful, yeah, by, at least by the evidence of, of how, like you said, of how easily uh, the Syrian army was able to kind of liberate the south, <coughs> the south of the country. Yeah. <coughs> right up to the, up to the Israeli border almost, you know. Um, I don't know if this was one of the guarantees given, but there's an interesting report. Um, it must have been in Russian media first. I'm reading it on Al Mazdar. Um, I think that's the Lebanese outlet. From two weeks ago, Russian military creates eight outposts along Golden Heights border. Mm. And there's a map showing where they're posted or to be posted. Um, but they're citing uh, deputy commander of Russian forces in Syria, mm. Viktor Zaitsev. They already have one. Oh, right. OK, it's a potential. Seven more will be created in the future. Mm -hmm. That's interesting, though, because if you have eight of those things, who knows how developed it might get. It's literally a Russian barrier right along the Golan Heights between Israel and Syria, which says a few things all at once. Because Israel's whole shtick was, well, you see, we have to do this because the Iranians, and they're all over Syria, mm -hmm. and they had some success attacking targets that may or may not have included Iranian forces in them. They certainly hit Syrian military targets. And then suddenly it's all swooped up of Al-Qaeda slash ISIS, and there's going to be a Russian outpost down there. Right. Which is a smart move, however way that was planned, because now you have Russian presence will obviously make it a lot harder for Israel to provoke Syria slash Iran mm -hmm. in that part of the world, in that part of the country. Yeah. And... Yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, that's that, that kind of move is, is to a large extent to cause the... The reason for the hysteria, the anti-Russian hysteria over the past few years, because Russia has been effectively doing what the U.S. has done. It's been supplanting the U.S. Uh, or be, you know beginning the process and, and going down the road of supplanting the U.S. bit by bit in in, in areas where it used to uh, be where it used to be the peacemaker, as the as, 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 the, as the U.S. likes to uh, policeman. Not a policeman, yeah, as the U.S. likes to think of itself. And that's just it's like a red rag to a ball, basically. The Americans when they see that happening and. Uh, that's the main reason for all of the, well, everything uh, that you've heard about Russia over the past two years or more. Uh, in fact, really past four or five years since since Ukraine and Crimea. Um, just, um, Russia just isn't allowed to do that, according to Americans. It's just not part of... Uh, not part of the game plan. It's not the way things are meant to be, and uh, you shouldn't be allowed to do that. And it's, you know... As we just heard McCain say, there is no moral equivalence between the United States and Russia, hmm. which is exactly what has been happening. There is an equivalence and everyone's seeing it, so he has to right. articulate that this is not so. No, it is. Sorry, John. Yeah. You're so wrong about that. So, yeah, Trump and then talking about America and Russia. Trump's had a shitty week. Trump's had a crappy crappy week, yeah. Um, is it as bad as the media is saying it is? Well, I mean, there's only so many times you can say that, oh, this is definitely impeachment material, and then nothing happens mm -hmm. before people go, 
Yeah, 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 whatever, you know. Anyway, move on, you know. But, or before you start to sound like a hysterical nut job, uh, they're saying the same thing, obviously. Impeachment. Is it possible? Is it really true? We could really possibly impeach him this time? Please, God, let it be so. Like, no, not really. Um, uh, I mean, there's basically nothing to see in the in the latest so-called developments. It's just they make they try to make something out of nothing, basically, you know. And they build it up like they dress it up. It's like they tart up these largely irrelevant and, and mundane facts, mundane details about life in Washington D.C. and what life in uh, on Capitol Hill and the way the politicking and the lobbying work and the stuff that's gone on for for centuries and, and certainly for you know for the last hundred years like just pretty much everybody doing it they suddenly take all of that what is in effect corruption and corrupt practices but that have been effectively legalized in the american system because american system is fundamentally american politics are fundamentally corrupt uh so they take that some of those details that they've completely ignored and allowed uh, accept it as normal part of life in Washington D.C. They take some of those details, and that as they apply to Trump, and then suddenly they present it to the public in this hugely moralistic kind of way. Like this is disgusting. It's terrible. Like, like Paul Manafort, you know. Right. Paul Manafort is accused. First of all, he has bugger all to do with Trump. He has no relationship with Trump basically at all. Right. Uh, in any in any relevant way today. Um, there's no history of Trump. He was campaign manager for a few months. Right. That was it. And he did nothing. Um, but Paul Manafort gets indicted and he's, you know, put in jail because, he, and he's a lobbyist, and of which there are thousands in, in, in Washington, D.C. He was convicted this week. Yeah. He's going to jail. Yes. Probably, yeah. He was in, indicted on, there were, there were, I think there were 18 indictments and they couldn't decide on 10 of them and they only agreed on eight of them. <clears throat> but anyway, so just the fact that some guy who was Trump's man campaign manager for a few months got indicted as a lobbyist, which all of them should be, because the lobbying in America, in, in Washington, D.C., is massively corrupt. It's just like cash for cash for influence, basically. You know what I mean? Uh, it's paying off politicians um, to get things for private individuals or, or, or organizations. Not exactly what, that's exactly what Paul Manafort was doing, partly for the Ukrainian government, like five or six or seven or eight, nine years ago at this point, over several years, he was basically peddling influence. He was getting, being given lots of cash by the Ukrainian government um, to 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 get favors for the Ukrainian government in Washington, D.C., which pretty much everybody does. It's like, basically, Washington, D.C. is like a brothel, you know what I mean? Where all of the people of the world come to get serviced. Yeah. And, and it's like, that's that's been the case since forever. But suddenly it's like, oh my God, did you see what happened, Paul Bonner? Everybody's freaking doing what Paul Manafort did, but just to me, because they can't, they could, they could indict all of Washington, every lobbyist in Washington D.C. could go through the exact same process that Paul Manafort went through. But they just pick Paul Manafort because he has this tenuous link to Trump, and then they make something out of nothing and say, oh well, he, he was Trump's campaign, campaign manager. That must mean that he there was something going on, right? Trump must in some way be linked to this, to this taking of money from the Ukrainian government and not declaring it. So he's done on basically tax evasion, right? On not declaring income, and he's going to what? jail for life. Eight, no, eight, well, eight hundred years or something. No, 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 no. Something. No, that's... if 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 he was indicted on all of them, okay. Uh, and then there's all sorts of plea bargaining and stuff. But that's the maximum term because well, well, there's eighteen indictments against. What was him. the idea there? Was it the idea to make Manafort squeal on Trump? Yeah, and he didn't. Not he didn't have anything. To squeal he on. doesn't have anything. There's nothing to say about Trump. He could have made something up. The person on Facebook. 
that I was having uh, discussions with about Trump and, you know, he's a typical, of which there are many of our, kind of, my generation anyway, um, people who are quite lefty liberal, kind of like, they just, they've swallowed the never Trump pill, you know, and they're totally, not that we're pro-Trump, but we're just not, we're not hysterical, never Trumpers, purple hair screaming at the sky, you know, social justice warrior, kind of like oversimplified views of, of things, you know, uh, we're just not, we don't do that because it's inane and it's stupid and it's insulting our intelligence, but a lot of people apparently, uh, supposedly, you know, people have gone to university and stuff, people are supposedly educated and stuff who, who really like uh, uh, embarrassing themselves with oversimplified black and white um, argumentation and thinking about certain things. So this guy was just on at me about Trump and I wasn't saying uh, I was pro-Trump or anything like that. I wasn't like big, up, big upping Trump as my the great leader who, what I, how, who I would die for or anything like that. I was just saying that what we've been saying for a long time, which is that the hysteria against him is just, it's just that, it's hysterical. Uh, but he couldn't understand that uh, anything I was saying, because it was just, how can you possibly say anything good about that person? How can you not say something really, not always say bad things about him? Everyone knows, Joe. And yeah, everyone knows. And because the media says they don't say that, but that's why because of the media, because the media has been propagandizing, uh, has has engaged in this anti anti Trump rhetoric for so long, and along with the deep state and all the people who are against Trump for their for the obvious reasons, let's say. But this person finally, his final word after a few days. So we had a conversation, and we weren't agreeing on things, and I just left it. And then after a few days, um, he posted a picture. A big close-up of close-up of Trump's face, where you could see all the little pock marks, you know, like and you know, it wasn't a very very unflattering picture, you know. He looked like a big saggy, saggy kind of uh, kind of jab at the hut, but it wasn't doctored in any way. It was just a super close-up. Right. Someone someone had zoomed in, zoom, zoom. zoomed in on his face, just his face, and it filled the whole picture. And he just posted that and just tagged me on it <laughs> as, as as a response. That that was that was the argument, and then and then I understood that you don't like this guy. Because he's ugly, and because because he's repellent, let's say physically repellent, and he embodies some of the traits of 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 that would go along with that in people's minds type thing. Uh, um, you know, he's he's he's, he's, he's well sexist. He's made sexist comments. He's a bit brash. Yeah, he's he's you know in your arrogant. face. He's arrogant. He's you know he's not very eloquent and all that kind of stuff. And you put that together with a big kind of his big jab of the hot face or whatever, and it's just like how can you possibly? I'm like. Dude, that's, that's super, that's extremely, well, it's very superficial, you know. Uh, it's not just just to make your argument. I mean, he wasn't saying it but explicitly, but he said, basically, that was his argument, that look at this guy, how can you support him? I hey, swear. Dude, really, are you, you going to try and understand international politics by the look of someone? What, so it's everything's cool because Obama's shiny and suave and sophisticated and can dance on the Ellen Show? That means, therefore, all is right with the world because he's nice-looking? And then an ugly person comes in and suddenly, oh my God, it's fucking Armageddon. Because he's ugly. Right. Um, but but, I'm that, but we sure. get, here we get into the kind of like the subconscious impact and influences that people are under. Uh, and that people, you, you know, that, that form people's opinions and, and stuff they're not even aware of, you know. The kind of blink reactions they have to things that are emotional uh, and, and that inform their opinions and, and just derails any kind of critical thinking and they just respond emotionally and with their kind of moral taste buds, basically, to a situation, and then they'll just stick with it. And they won't be able to tell you why, and they won't even know the reason. 
you know, even if even if uh, even if they had access to it, they wouldn't really understand the reasons why they were having this kind of response to someone or response to a situation. And unfortunately, appearance counts for an awful lot in this world. Uh, I mean, Once, you can look at statistics and stuff about job interviews and all that kind of stuff. And good-looking people who have are totally unsuited for a job will get the job, whereas an ugly person who's perfectly suited for the job will not get it. I mean, there's so much bias and confirmation bias. You get into the psychology of it all, it's a shit show, basically. You wonder how anybody can actually, you know, freaking tie their shoelaces or put their, put get matching socks on, basically, in the morning. You know what I mean? It's, it's that bad. When it, when it comes to important things that people think have an impact on their lives, of course, when it comes to politics and the leader of the free world and authority figures and all that kind of stuff, it's all the more... Uh, difficult and all the more meaningful and, and, and the feelings are all the stronger for people because it's it's got that added. It's not just a personal I don't like the look of that person but it's I don't like the look of that person and that person uh, could actually destroy me and my society and my family. You know, that's what that's the inference, you know. Yeah. Uh, because it's an authority figure, it's politics, we got to do something about it. And of course they're being whipped up by the media and all that kind of stuff, but they, and just the bottom line is critical thinking is out the window, you know. Yeah, and they've literally been programmed by their emotions to see that face and to feel all these things, a whole catalogue of things, and then to regurgitate the things that were programmed while it was like right. hate this person. It's Rather a classic than, demonstration of <clears throat> two minutes hate. Uh, the, I mean, really, an allegory that Orwell used in 1984, where people would come in and be made to sit and watch the face of the enemy and hate it. Just you must hate Emmanuel Goldstein, and they just had—I think they just had Goldstein doing normal things, saying mm-hmm. normal things, but the vitriol—they must just vent the hate at it. I, I swear, in addition to that, that you—we've joked. I think I remember you saying it in the past that people are literally like—that's their argument. They'll just put, they'll just say, "Just look at his face. Yes. Just look at him. Can that's you not see it?" Final, final answer. Look at his face, and that's that's exactly when you, what when you when you boil it down and you've kind of like questioned them on all their details and you've shown that all of the assumptions, all their highbrow argumentation against Trump or against whatever doesn't hold up because here's you know exhibit A, B, C. Eventually, they you know reason the re, more reasonable ones will say, okay, well, okay, so they'll go quiet and they'll accept that what they thought their argument isn't holding any water, and then. They'll give you a final answer, which is, well, just look at his face then. And then, but I can't disagree with that. Yeah, he doesn't look very good. So, uh, fair enough. But if that's what you want to base your your worldview on, you know, whether the world is 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 okay and, and on the right track, or if it's on the wrong track, is based on uh, the physical appearance of of leaders, then far away. But you're probably not gonna. You're probably gonna be deceived. That you can at the very least say that you're probably going to be deceived by some good-looking, smooth, suave, talking um, uh, psycho or something, you know. Well, the other thing about so the other thing about was Paul Manafort. What else was going on? Trump, his son, Michael Cohen, at uh, the okay. very same time right. in a New York court. Cohen, who was Trump's lawyer at one point, implicated him in a crime to influence the 2016 presidential election. That's out of the reporting in the media. But it's nothing to do with the presidential election whatsoever. Mm. He pled guilty, Cohen, to dodging taxes and campaign finance violations. And of course, the specific allegations that Trump directed Cohen to pay hush money to that Playboy model or whoever she is, right. Stormy Daniels. Yeah, and one other one. And the two of them. Yeah, but that's again, that's again, at the yeah. same time. 
But again, you have to go, what? I think that's not a coincidence. No, at the same not, time on Tuesday, these was, two yeah, court cases. There was that. There was the Cohen. So Cohen basically, um, the story behind Cohen is that Trump paid off, paid money to two women that he had an affair with, allegedly, uh, to stop them talking about it and damaging uh, his chances in the election. Is that is that unusual? Is, is somebody going to tell me that's unusual? In politics anywhere. In, in politics anywhere, in politics in the US and during a presidential election, that people would be paying money to people to stop them saying stuff that while not uh, allegations, not allegations of any criminal wrongdoing, but simply stuff that would damage them in a very sensitive period of time when they're running for election. Hillary Clinton has done it. Every other president has done has done it. Uh, so supposedly that's that's what, but that's nothing. I mean, uh, there's no. It's not. It's not a misuse. It's not even misuse of campaign finances. You know what I mean? To to to. Yeah, Trump's been. It's his own money. His defense is that it's his own money. Right. Exactly. The very fact that he's pulled into something as sordid as that. I, I know everyone does it all the time. Yeah, but and, it's or because it's, uh, the accusations hurled at everyone all the time. But still, when you're dragged down and you're defending and you're Trump and you're defending back on Twitter and so on, it still doesn't look good, the optics, let's say. Mm. What kind of real effect that has on popular opinion well, and or his chances of impeachment? It has, it probably it has, it has, almost nothing. First, but, at this point, it has no effect on public opinion in the sense of it doesn't sway anybody. Everybody's made their choice. Okay. The people who support Trump... By definition, at this point, no matter what they would say about Trump, no matter what the media says about Trump, no matter what allegation they come up with, the Trump supporters will automatically disbelieve it. Right. It's not true. And the left does not need any encouragement whatsoever. They just they'll, need his face. Well, they'll freaking make it up themselves, yeah. Uh, so the other thing that happened at the same time was Trump's son, mm -hmm. uh, Jared, uh, this is an old story as well, basically. The son-in-law or his son, son proper? Uh, Junior. No, sorry, the son. Um... Wasn't it, who, who met with the, with the Russians? Don Trump Jr. Yeah, Don Trump. Okay, Don Trump Jr. So he's accused of meeting with the Russians who promised uh, basically opposition research. We know this is an old story. I don't know why it's really uh, coming up again, but they brought it basically up again and, and thrown it into the mix because it's been talked about for the past two years. But so Don Trump Jr. meets in Trump Tower with a representative of, she was a Russian lawyer basically. Yeah, based uh, in D.C. Yeah. Uh, met with her in Trump Tower on the basis of, it was just going to be, a, my, I scratch your, your back, you scratch mine. Um, the Russians said they might have some information they could share on Hillary Clinton, which they do, obviously, and Putin actually released it, um, that information in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a talk just a couple of months ago, or less than a couple of months ago, where he said that Bill Browder had given uh, 400 grand to uh, the Clinton campaign. And obviously Bill Browder, for anybody who doesn't know who he is, he's a, He's a U.S. Uh, citizen who was basically part of the looting of Russia in the 1990s, and he ran away out of Russia with, uh, what, two, 250, million. About 250 million, 300 million, and he gave uh, 400,000 of that as a donation. So it's stolen money, basically, uh, from Russia. Give 400 grand of that stolen money, money to the Clinton campaign. And that's probably what, um, and this is over a year ago, actually, well, it's two years ago almost now, 2016, yeah. uh, that uh, when this Russian lawyer was meeting with, Don Trump Jr. and Trump Tower, that's probably one of the things anyway that she was going to offer. Listen, here's some info on uh, on Bill Browder and Clinton taking money from Bill Browder that was stolen from Russia. And in return, what she was looking for on behalf of the Russian government was 
also connected to Bill Browder, which was the, the passing of sanctions, basically the first, the first major round of sanctions against Russia called under the Magnitsky Act, mm-hmm. which was Magnitsky was Browder's uh, Browder's lawyer, uh, accountant, accountant slash yeah yeah accountant who died in jail in Russia uh, because Browder basically left him there, and uh, and he was ill and he died, and but then Browder accused the Russian government of killing his accountant and... Uh, to cover up a crime. To cover up a crime. Blah, which blah, blah, was actually Browder's crime. Which is Browder's crime. And the US government and John McCain, front and centre on the Magnitsky, right. Act, uh, Magnitsky Act, was the first round of sanctions against Russia. Uh, so the Russians were meeting with Trump to offer this information on Clinton and to possibly get uh, achieve the, the lifting of some of the sanctions. Um, so supposedly what they're talking about now is that it's illegal to solicit... Well, it is illegal under U.S. campaign law to solicit foreigners for donations or contributions to, uh, you know, to, to a presidential campaign. Um, but just asking for information is clearly not. No, uh, in fact, that's so part common. of opposition research. They it's so it common they have research. a clean term. Right, opposition exactly. research. And that's exactly, that's all that was going on there was that uh, the Trump campaign, I, Don Trump Jr., was uh, meeting with a Russian in Trump Tower to to get some opposition research on Hillary Clinton, and it sounds like valid opposition research. If Trump could have been able, would have been able to to drop that bombshell during some of the presidential debates to ask Hillary Clinton. So, what about this four hundred grand that Bill Browder gave you? You know, just to open it up would have been a, an interesting topic at the time, or as part of a debate, or, or whatever, as part of the campaign. Um, so, there's nothing there as well. Um, so, in those three counts, there's absolutely nothing. There's nothing. There's no impeachable offence. It's it's par for the course, running the mill, standard operating procedures of life in the cesspool uh, that is. Uh, and yet, that is that is Washington. And yet, everybody's saying, "Is it possible this time? Can we impeach him for this?" They just want rid of him because of his face. This is the well, guard, the Guardian's it. guy in Washington, some doofus. He he describes it as a one-two punch that stunned the White House. Mm. And revived whispers of impeachment. Yeah, he wish. The he Washington, wishes, like, <laughs> Washington Post, Dan Bals write, writes, uh, no day during President Trump's 19 months in office could prove as dangerous or debilitating as Tuesday. Everything that happened in a pair of courtrooms hundreds of miles apart strengthened the hand of Special Counsel Mueller uh, and weakened that of the President of the United States. You're talking up a story it, that has no legs, you know, just because they want it. I mean, uh, why would you... Why would anybody, anybody would get tired of listening to someone who clearly has a vested interest in something happening and they keep talking about it as if it's going to happen, you know? I mean, you just, you still, eventually you just dismiss the person as a, as a crank and as a bit delusional, basically, because they keep on talking about something and everybody knows that there's not much chance that it's going to happen, but you know that person talking about it really, really, really wants it to happen. So you just go, look, dude, would you shut up about that topic, please? Because... There's no evidence it's going to happen. I know you really want it to happen, but until something comes in that shows that it might actually happen, could you please shut up about it? Because you're annoying everybody. And that's what the media is doing. I mean, that's why the media is actually so annoying. And it's bipartisan, because that is annoying across the board. It's nothing to do with your your politics, right? When somebody acts like that, it's extremely annoying. Yeah. To hear someone harp on about something. Would you shut up? Are you on about that thing again? Shut up, will you? You're annoying me. Yeah, yeah, blah, blah, Trump, Trump, peach, peach, peach. Just shut up. It's not happening. When it happens, we'll all agree with you. But until then, shut up. It's not going to happen. The only reality-based thing the Guardian's guy in Washington wrote in his piece was that Cohen's plea bargain statement could be Exhibit A if Democrats win the House of Representatives in November. Right. 
<laughs> I mean, they're building a castle in the sky. Yeah. Assuming there's not major rigging or they can't they can't do it successfully, they're not going. There isn't going to be a blue wave in November. I seriously doubt. It. Anyway, it's going to be a, another Republican Congress yeah. for the next remaining two years of his presidency. So it's boring and madness and frustrating. And Did you hear Trump's response to it? Mm. If you impeach me, stock markets will crash and everybody will be poor. Yeah. Which they, of course, spun as a crazy threat from a madman, which yeah. is why we need to impeach him. He's going to crash but, the stock market. But I think someone took that seriously because there have been a spate of reports today in like Wall Street Journal, um, Business Insider, Market Watch, trying to say that... Um, Yes, it would be a hit for the stock market, but don't worry, the economy will be fine. Just fine. One headline is, a Trump impeachment could slam the stock market, but there'll be no long-term damage to the economy. We shall see. Nobody knows how vulnerable the economy is. Rudy Giuliani is even, he says, forget the economy <clears throat> crashing. There'll um, be a revolution if Trump gets impeached, which yeah. might be overstating the matter. I suspect more likely there'll be a lot of outrage, but a revolution... Really, they only happen when people are pushed. Yeah, Trump's more to starvation levels. You know. Yeah, well, I think it it could it could be pretty bad. You know, and one thing can lead, there can be knock on effects. If you know what I mean, that nobody can foresee. You might you might anticipate some kind of civil uh, disturbance if Trump was impeached. But then you think, well, it would just quieten down. But nobody can see. You know, knock on effects, dominoes that 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 that, that fall. Um, so it is. It would be very a very dangerous situation. I'd say if Trump was impeached, it's more likely that uh, he'd be given a heart attack or something. Like that. Because it would, everybody would think, well, they just put up that picture of close up of his face again and go see. Well, it's obviously he's going to have a heart attack. So, and you know the stress of the job and all the attacks that the media, you know, the media could report on. Yes, it seems that our incessant attacks on Donald Trump yep. for two years have uh, actually finally achieved. I mean, caused uh, uh, him to have a heart attack. Uh, we mourn this national hero. Well, I won't say that actually. We mourn this. Uh, we don't mourn this at all. Actually, thank God he's gone. Um, yeah, well, they might have. They they made a stink out of his um, his medical checkup. Mm. Just when he came right. into office, that it wasn't in good shape. Yeah, he says it was, and then somebody else said no, actually Best it wasn't. Medical records ever. And then of course um, there was that supposed you know tell-all book by that wolf guy claiming that Trump eats McDonald's at mm. night in bed, and mm. stuff like that. So yeah, I mean they kind of paved the way for. Well, he was old and unhealthy. Yeah. It could happen. We'll have to wait and see. But um, I think we'll uh, maybe leave it there for this week, unless there's something else that's urgent or pressing that we wanted to discuss. Not from my end, no. We're good. Okay. Um, yeah, there's nothing else coming up, really. Is there? There's no celestial events or anything like that. There's some snow in the Italian Alps before the end of August. A big do dose of snow, actually. In the Italian Alps, Alps on a big cold wave coming across uh, Eastern Europe, which is really weird for the end of end of August. But mm. uh, uh, it may be a harbinger of the much fabled uh, ice age that that's meant to be. I've heard is meant to be coming uh, anytime soon. So, uh, but we'll just have to wait and see. Um, but yeah, crazy weather obviously is is beyond doubt across. You heard across it here, folks. Joe Quinn just predicted an ice age this winter. No, at some point, at some point, I said, at some point is uh, in the future. Well, uh, we're going to have extremes. We got more and more extremes all the time, so extreme summer heats, maybe then extreme cold. Yeah. Why not? Going into winter, yeah, maybe. So, uh, yeah, something to look forward to. 
Anyway, we'll leave it there for this week, folks. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, if you like this video, click the like button and subscribe and the bell notification thingy item button. Uh, until next time, see you later. See you next week. Bye, everyone.